The following message is from King's Church 1066, based in Hastings, Bexhill and the surrounding area. For more information, head to our website, kings1066.org. Brilliant. Hello, my name's John. Um, yeah, and I'm speaking to you today about our Kingdom Signs, which includes healing wonders and miracles. And uh, I run Hastings Food Bank, um, I'm one of the pastors here, and I am not fully healthy. What did you get for Christmas? I got statins. Hey! I went for a well-man appointment and got told you need statins and thought, right, I want my money back. I got planktile fasciitis, which is not a big deal, but it's just like shooting pains in your foot every time you stand up and every time you walk, and it's starting to do my head in. But I believe God heals. I've got a foster brother who's deaf, And his son's got Down syndrome, which he's going to probably have for the rest of his life. But he believes God heals. Okay, and there's this lovely scripture at the end of the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible. It starts with God making light and life, and then human beings mess up, and disease and death and depression come into the world. And at the end, there's this this figure who is uh, pointing towards Jesus Christ called Joseph, And Joseph's life mirrors that of Jesus. And what happens is Joseph is rejected by his brothers. He's he's, he's gifted by God, because Jesus was. He's rejected by his brothers like Jesus was. He ends up really in death because he's captured in Egypt and put in a prison, which is going to lead to death like Jesus was. But then because of the power of, of God, like Jesus was, he's risen up to the right hand side of Pharaoh, or in Jesus's case, God the Father. So there's a death and resurrection at the end of Genesis. And this is what happens. Joseph is given authority over the whole land and he feeds the world like Jesus does. And what happens is uh, Joseph is given a bride. Jesus is given his church, people like you and me. And Joseph's union with his bride produces two children. And one of them is called, he makes me fruitful in the land of my suffering. This guy's life mirrors that of Jesus. And union with Jesus, we're his bride, we're given to Jesus. Union with Jesus means this. If you're not healed now, or you're not healed in this life, he loves you like Joseph loved his daughter. And he can make you fruitful in the land of your suffering. And one day when you meet him and you've walked with him faithfully, Jesus will say, Here's my scars, let me see yours. Well done, good and faithful servant. And there will be a reward for you and you will look back. And I know this is hard to believe, but your land of suffering, which is all-consuming and sometimes makes you think, I've had enough, I'd like to go now, will be swallowed up in such amazing love, light and life. You will be welcomed home. And I don't know if we'll understand everything, but we will go, wow, thank you, Jesus. He loves you. He loves you. We don't get everything always in this life now, but here's the problem. Every time I read my Bible, it tells me we should get an awful lot. Sometimes when Jesus turned up, he seemed to hoover up sickness everywhere it was as a sign to make people wonder. And so we are going to talk about knowing that we honour you. Please hear this. If you walk with suffering, 
man, you're our heroes. But it doesn't matter whether we love you because God does. God loves you. That's the thing. But we are going to talk for healing. And as a church, we are pretty fed up with being so polite about it and being so passive about it. So we, we are a church. We want to walk together. We honour you. But as a church, we want to go for this. I run a food bank. I see your friends and neighbours. And I tell you, we need everything God says we can have in his word. We need signs. Well, I do. I do. I need signs, wonders and miracles to follow. And we need it in the church because I believe Jesus wants people to be set free. And you know what? You can be the sickest person in the room and you can work in signs, wonders and miracles. That's just how it works in this life. God can give you stuff to give to other people and you think, why not me? And he says, one day, son, one day, daughter, hold on. Because we are called first and foremost to be witnesses. And whether you struggle or whether you have success, first and foremost, I am a witness to Jesus Christ with my healthy feet, doing my dad running on the seafront, which is almost backwards, or with my planktile fasciitis, which means I can't wait to sit down and get off my feet because it hurts. I am a witness to Jesus Christ. Father God, please do what you said you'd do. Honour your son. And as we preach the word, let signs and wonders and miracles follow so that men and women are captivated and captured by you and are saved for eternity. Amen. Okay, that was just a really, just a brief introduction, which wasn't that brief, so I better crack on. We're in a series on the kingdom of God as a church. And this series has got two aims. The first is that we would grow in faith and obedience ourselves to follow Jesus. That's always it, isn't it? I am yours, he is mine. But the second is we'd be equipped to take the rule and reign of Jesus to the people around us who don't know him. Paul started the series by looking at a study from the US and it said, in a year, for every 85 people in attendance, only one person is saved and added to that congregation. That means that for us, if that ratio was true, there'd be about three people a year coming to know Jesus. Well, given the tens of thousands of people just around Hastings that don't know Jesus, and are in desperate need for a saviour, and they are, lots of them, looking all over the place in all sorts of stuff, that ratio simply will not do. It will not do. Not because, oh, it will not do. I'm not happy about it. I can't settle with it, and I hope you can't either. Well, here's the good news. The truth is, we are seeing more than that, and it's growing. Each month, for months, We've seen people, Jesus revealing himself to them and them coming to know Jesus and committing to follow him by being baptised. In fact, in the youth, I'm informed, this has been happening even more regularly recently, almost fortnightly. Jesus is alive. He's showing himself to people and they are committing themselves to follow him in baptism. Month after month. It's not true nothing's happening. It's not true we're wasting our time. It's not true he's not revealing himself. He is. This is good news. And what I believe is happening, I'm not, I'm not the build and end all, so, but what I think is happening is not that we'll ever stop gathering here, but I think God is turning us from a come to us church to a go and find them church. 
So we still do this because we don't give up meeting together. But I think it's been easy to be a Christian. And so most churches do that. They say, come to us. And I think God is equipping us to go to them and say, look, let me introduce you to this Jesus. And when you do that, it's really helpful to be normal and enjoy normal stuff and have fun and join their clubs. But it's really helpful if signs and wonders follow. Really helpful. I remember we did Alpha once. I can talk. I tried every avenue. And this guy was saying, I just don't get it. It's just not, it's just not, nothing's happening in my mind. So I said, okay, let's just pray. Jesus, please touch this guy's mind and help him. And he said, whoa, heat's running through my head. Like, literally, like, I was like, oh yeah, God is alive. He's very able to show himself and we're called to talk. But it's helpful to pray because it's like inviting God in without an argument. You see, there really are two kingdoms that count. And we're not talking Russia and the US. There really are only two kingdoms that count. The first one is called the dominion of darkness. It's ruled by Satan and his demons. And it leads to destruction and death. I mean, it really does, even for nice people. There's another kingdom. I love this kingdom. I was in the dominion of darkness even though I didn't realise it. And when I met Jesus, he picked me up and he put me in the king, his kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. It's ruled by Jesus and it leads to eternal life. Eternal life is not, I'll get that one day. Eternal life starts now. It breaks in and you think, there is something alive in me. I was a right little what's it and now there's something in me that I can't help loving people. I can't help wanting to get to know Jesus. And when I do stuff that was in my old kingdom, a darkness, something inside goes, oh, I don't want to be like that anymore. The eternal life starts now. There's like a seed of it that starts to work its way through like yeast, pointing to the fact one day I'm going to get it fully. We get the real stuff now, but it says it's just a deposit. You know when like, you're really overwhelmed by the love of God? That's real stuff, but it's just a deposit. What's it going to be like when you see him face to face and we're changed? That's why we need signs, wonders and miracles. Because it points to him and what's to come. You see, three things stand in the way of people coming to know Jesus. Demonic activity. Now I've learned, I used to be really worried about this stuff. I've learned demonic activity is nothing to worry about because Jesus dealt with them at the cross. We just kick it out. Honestly, demonic activity is, is not that much of a big deal. We just kick it out. Secondly, worldly belief structures and systems. People are indoctrinated in certain ways of thinking that make it very difficult to accept what we're saying. And finally, our own sin and shame. It says in Scripture that people run from the light and look for the darkness because their own sin and shame. Don't let the light come to me because it'll expose what's in here and in here, behind my nice little life and facade. So there, we need signs, wonders and miracles. The gospel is the power of God to save people. We must share the gospel. But signs and wonders help people. They deal with the demonic. They show that there's more than this worldly structure and hopefully it points to the love of God so you can come even with your sin and your shame because actually Jesus has already paid for it. The Apostle Paul said this, not this Paul, the Apostle one, I will venture to speak, I will not venture to speak of anything except what King Jesus has accomplished through me in leading people to obey God by what I have said and done. 
by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God from Jerusalem all the way around to some other place I can't pronounce. I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. If signs, wonders and miracles were good enough and needed by the Apostle Paul, I know I need them and I've got a sneaking suspicion, good as you are, you might need them. So here we go. Where do we go to learn about signs and wonders? The Gospel of John. The Gospel of John really is, is a whole record of Jesus' life is attached to seven signs and wonders. The whole thing is about Jesus being a sign and a wonder. So we go there. There are four signs of healing that start fairly simple and get more, more greater and more complex. Someone is ill then someone is paralysed for 38 years, then someone's blind since birth, and then someone's actually dead for part of four days, so they stink. Jesus turns up and goes, get up, come out, in front of people. And the authorities who didn't want to follow Jesus, this is one of the reasons we know Scripture is true, apart from the fact that Jesus lives in us. The people that didn't believe and follow Jesus were panicking because it was such an obvious miracle that everyone knew about. So they're trying to shut him up. That's a really good historical evidence that Scripture is true. And finally, the last sign is Jesus raises himself from the dead. And in between, there are two signs, and I love this. Do you remember the Joseph figure in Genesis? When he's in the dungeon, he's with the cupbearer and the baker, he's with bread and wine. It symbolises Jesus' death before his resurrection. Jesus does two things in the Gospel of John as signs. He produces an abundance of wine, which points to his kingdom to come, but also his death, and an abundance of bread. Jesus is enough to feed the world. It's wonderful, it's beautiful. But if we really want to understand signs and wonders, we need to begin where John begins. So if you can put up John chapter 1, please. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. What is John saying? Can you put up Genesis chapter 1, please? Any commentary you read will say it's a reference to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, when you read it, is talking about Jesus. Genesis chapter 1, when you read it, is talking about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. All things were made through him. So let's read Genesis chapter 1. See, because if we've got an issue with signs and wonders, <laughs> this is what my Jesus can do. Oh, it's not up there, it's okay. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We could stop there, couldn't we? Got a problem with plantar fasciitis, John. In the beginning, Jesus was there with God the Father. He created the heavens and the earth. This is the word of God. Now the earth was out form and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep. There's that darkness again. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters and here comes the word of God. Here comes Jesus. And God said... And there was. God said, let there, be, let there be light. And there was light. That's what Jesus can do. 
God said, let there be a vault between the waters and call the vault sky. That's what Jesus can do. God said, let the water under the sky be gathered together in one place and let dry ground appear. That's what Jesus can do. God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it. That's what Jesus can do. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate day from night. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. Oh, and by the way, Jesus also made the stars. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures. Let the birds fly above the earth, above the cross of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems. That's what Jesus can do. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their time, kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals according to their kind. That's what my Jesus can do. Then God said, let us make human beings, mankind, in our image, in our likeness, so they can rule on our behalf and bring order to what we've made. So God created men and women and blessed them. Is anything too hard for Jesus? And I don't know what your theology is, but actually it says that Jesus also sustains it all in every moment. <laughs> there is nothing too hard for Jesus. We might not get it all. God's will is to heal everyone and one day he will. So we might not get it all now, but I tell you what, nothing, nothing is too hard for him. He can speak to a decomposing body that's been dead for part of four days and say, Lazarus, come out. He can do that sort of stuff. Let's go back to John chapter 1. Now we understand a bit more. Let's read it again. Father, we are so slow to believe sometimes because life beats us down, experience beats us down and we have an enemy that lies to us. But we know you can. You can, Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, my Jesus, all things were made. Without my Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and this life is the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. When I go home, if it's dark and I put the light on, there's not a struggle. There's not. When we come in here and we put the lights on, it's not like the darkness goes, no! And the light says, come on, no! There's no struggle. The, the fridge is dark, I open it, so it's full of light. There's no darkness there. There's not a, like a battle in the grave, we sing. No, there wasn't. When Jesus turns up, darkness flees. It's as simple as that. There's no battle, there's no struggle Lazarus come out. The only struggle was Lazarus was still in the grave clothes. There was no like, oh, I've got to defeat the whatever it is that made him dead. He just spoke the word. It is not difficult for light to overcome darkness. Light just has to have a source. It just has to have a source. He is the source of everything you see. A man nailed to a cross is the source of everything you see. Well, I don't understand it. 
join the club. But he proved it by his resurrection from the dead. He proved it. And he proved it through what he does amongst us. John goes on to say, There was a man sent from God whose name is John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that through him all might believe. Sometimes we can get so... There are some people that get so carried away with healing that it almost becomes all about your physical healing now. Signs and wonders are so that people would believe. Some people were physically healed in the Bible and it looks like they didn't turn to Jesus at all. They'll be lost for all eternity. We want signs and wonders, but boy, it's because we want them to point to Jesus. And actually, your life at the moment might not be healed, but you might be pointing more people to Jesus than anyone else just for how you walk in your suffering. If you are suffering, please don't give up. Don't let bitterness come. Please stand with us as we go for signs, wonders and miracles as well. Because when someone comes and looks at the church, they're drawn by signs and wonders. But when they see you walking, they know it's real. They know it's real. He came to that was which his own, it says later on. Jesus did, but they did not receive him. Do you know, everything belongs to Jesus because it says he's, he's the sustainer of it all. He's the source of it all. But people don't turn to him. But it says, to those, I love this verse, to those who did receive him, he, to those who believed. There's that word again, believe. That's what it's about. He gave the right to become children of God. I'm a Wales, but I tell you, I'm much more a Christ. I belong to him, to Jesus. From my earthly natural descendants, I'm like my parents. But when I gave my life to Jesus, he put his Holy Spirit, he poured out his love into my heart and I started to become like him day by day. And when I finally die or he comes back and I meet him, I will be somehow fully like him and I'll be known fully. And it says, and I will know him in a way that I just can't get my head round. It's the most wonderful thing on planet Earth to tell someone about Jesus. It's the most wonderful thing. They go from the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of the sun he loves. And they have hope in this life and the next. And when death comes, as a Christian, we haven't lost that battle. We haven't lost that one. It says in scripture, Elisha, who was a sign and a wonder, he was another image of Christ. He saw even his bones once he was dead. Someone fell on them and came to life. It says he died of the sickness he had. We are going for signs and wonders unashamedly, but we're not going to get silly about it. But we are going to go for it, but we're not going to get silly about it. There is a sickness that leads to death. And there's nothing in the scripture that says, oh, we lost Elijah. No, no, there's a sickness that led to death. But we can also see sickness overcome. We have to walk with that tension. And I think we've probably been too much because of the damage on the side of letting sickness just hang about. I think it's time for us to move over here and say, come on, come on, heal this person. Would you meet my friend? And we had a word particularly when we were preparing. We got a couple of testimonies about it and we had a word even this morning when Paul said about healing. Someone came and said, mental health. God has spoke to us about mental health, depression, anxiety, fear, different things that people say you've got. So we are going to pray for people with mental health at the end and expect Jesus to come because the brain is really complicated. Not to Jesus. Not to Jesus. So, 
I want to read you something from this book to finish with. This book is called Incomparable. It's by a friend of mine called uh, Andrew Wilson. And it's, a, it's about explorations in who God is. It's incredible. And I'm reading it for the second or third time. And I, it's just worth reading. This is what he says. And it's called The Word Became Flesh. It is no exaggeration to say that God becoming flesh, what we call the incarnation, is the most scandalous teaching anyone has ever given. In the Gospel of John, he us, opens up by telling us in verse 1, Jesus is eternal, he's distinct from God, and yet he is God. In verse 3, it says, Jesus was responsible with, with God for the whole of creation. Indeed, nothing was made without him. In verses 4 to 14, it says that Jesus is full of light, life, glory, grace and truth. So we have an eternal being through whom everything was created, distinct from God the Father, but at the same time, fully God himself. The Jews of Jesus' day had several ways of speaking about God's interaction with humanity. They called it his wisdom, his law, his word, his glory, his spirit. Interestingly, all of these are, are quoted or alluded to in John's opening chapter. But none of them involved God becoming a man. Because how could someone so transcendent and above become so close and imminent? How was spirit now body? How could someone so holy become so humble? This is the biggest of all miracles. If you stop to think about it, the amazing things Jesus does in the Gospels and today, they're not surprising at all if you understand and believe the incarnation. It would be totally bizarre if Jesus was fully God, as John says and Jesus himself says in chapter 8, 58. It would be totally bizarre if there was a storm and Jesus said, be still, and it didn't. It would be odd if he spoke to a dead body like Lazarus and said, come out, and it didn't. It would be bizarre if Jesus went up to someone who was demon-possessed and said, leave them alone, and it didn't leave. He says, I have had the privilege once or twice of speaking to sickness in Jesus' name and seeing the sicknesses leave immediately. Only once or twice. I've also seen literally hundreds of others healed through people far more gifted by God in this area than I am. I often find unbelievers and some believers are amazed that anyone would say God can do this sort of thing. But when faced with Jesus, when looking at the incarnation, those who try to deny God's healing power are like people chasing their pet hamster out of the room and ignoring the elephant on the sofa. We are saying something far more outrageous than God heals. We are saying he actually became flesh and is alive today, risen from the dead, pouring out grace and kindness and giving signs, wonders and miracles so that men and women might reach out to him and be saved. We've got three testimonies of what the word, the logos, the risen Lord Jesus has done amongst us. When my youngest was born, a few days after he was born, I remember um, basically fear got in that um, something was going to happen to him, that he wasn't going to live um, past childhood. Um, and I would have moments of being assailed really with images and um, of horrible things happening to him and um, it, it was it was hideous it would quite often happen in church I'd be um, 
singing, worshipping Jesus, and then it would be like a slideshow in my head and just this utter fear and conviction that he, he wasn't going to live very long. Um, and I tried, I tried to take captive thoughts. I tried to, um, you know, talk to my husband about it. And what used to cause me to stumble really is I'd think, what if, what if it's from God? What if God's trying to prepare me for this? And um, my husband would say, is it giving you any peace? Is it helping you in any way? And I'd be like, no, it's horrible. He said, it's not from God. Um, but I still found that helpful, but I didn't find I was able to, to stand against it really so this kind of went on for about five six years where I would just have just these phases of just real anxiety and fear about um about about him um and then one Sunday I was in a prayer meeting uh, an evening prayer meeting and the guy leading it said you know I believe God wants to set people free from fear um and immediately I just had like this flame really like this bubble inside of hope I guess of faith like wouldn't it be good to be free it's like I could hear this whisper wouldn't it be good to be free and I was like yeah it really would it really would be good and it was the first time that I'd thought I think I think God can deal with this I think it can go um and two women prayed for me and I walked out and drove home and just everything had changed. I, there was no fear. I started to thank God for my son in ways I hadn't really done before and to pray for his future in a way I had never done. Um, and it, I was free, but also it was like this revelation. I had no idea how restricted and small the fear had made me. It had stopped any kind of hope for the future for him and so therefore I wasn't even praying about hope for the future it kind of squashed me and and restricted me and made me small and God in his kindness set me free um from stuff I didn't even realize was was kind of hemming me in really so that that was then that was 16 17 years ago um and God set me free but he's kept me free as well um there's been no no times at all when fear has come back in and got hold of me, but I have stayed free and I am so grateful to Jesus. Hey everybody, Alex here from the Philippines. Uh, Lou and I knew for some time that God was going to call us to go somewhere from Kings. Uh, we just weren't entirely sure where. Uh, but one of our biggest concerns, if I'm honest, one of the barriers uh, to going were the countless intolerances and food sensitivities that our children had, particularly uh, Bethan and Maya. And it seems that almost everything we gave them would cause them real terrible pain and reactions. So for the first nine months of Maya's life, we had screaming every night and only four or five hours sleep. We were exhausted, disappointed and need of change. And they couldn't eat dairy, they can eat tomatoes, soy, uh, chicken, beans, pulses, cucumber, grapes, you name it, the list went on. And they were both under a consultant at the hospital and under the direction of a dietitian. We felt, man, how is this going to work? But my wife, Lou, whilst reading and praying, felt a rise of faith to pray over Bethan. So whilst we had prayed many times before, this time felt different. And the following day, Lou talked to Bethan about how Jesus heals people today and that we had faith that God had healed her did she want to try something new? So she did, no reaction. Um, 
not content for just one of our kids, Lou then prayed again over Maya and asked Jesus to do the same for her. Next day, different foods, no reaction. And now all of our kids, they eat more cheese and ice cream and fruits and cucumber and chicken than anyone else I know. And their story's now being told in the school playgrounds, to their teachers, to their friends, to their neighbours. Everyone who knew our kids well couldn't argue with what Jesus had done. They were completely terrible with their food, but now Jesus has healed them and they are making up for it in proper time, I tell you. So thank you, Jesus. Praise and blessing to you. Hi, my name's Emma Claire. I work here at King's Church and look after all the finances. John asked if I'd share a little bit of my story. Um, so here it goes. I haven't always been a Christian. I was saved when I was 17 and loved God instantly. And I was incredibly grateful to know God and um, have the peace and joy that comes um, through giving my life to him. He is without a doubt amazing. Um, but in my, particularly in my 20s, and I think towards my late 20s, I really struggled mentally. I struggled with um, depression. I'd had some situations happen um, and some life happened to me that meant that I was really, really struggling to kind of um, get out from under what I would describe as a very black cloud. And I'd mentally struggled and at my lowest point, I wouldn't say I was suicidal, but I would think thoughts like I just wanted to sleep and not wake up. I couldn't cope. Um, and I was finding life a real challenge, even though I loved God, saved, and I, I knew God was for me. And I, I knew that this shouldn't be the way I am. And I went along to a church service one day and was... Um, prayed for by a visiting speaker and our church had been um, really really involved in the Toronto blessing we saw lots of healings and if anyone can cast their minds back to that back in the 90s but we saw lots of um, healings and deliverance and lots of just amazing God encounters and I really saw God move in power and I, I'd seen firsthand what God could do um, and the visiting speaker who prayed for me I started to, I mean, to use a Christian term, kind of manifest, I guess. Um, there's obviously something going on in me that as he prayed and as the power of the Holy Spirit came, it didn't like it. And I, um, after some prayer for a while, I would experience what I would call deliverance. So I think whatever had hold of me mentally, I believe was demonic and I was delivered in that moment. I went from this place of um, mental torment to being um, in my right mind, seeing clearly, um, being able to function clearly. It was like there was no cloud, there was no depression and in an instant God had met me and delivered me. and. It was like a real night and day moment. One day I thought this way and the next day I am totally free. The Bible says that Jesus came to set the captives free and that is totally my story. And I am so grateful to him for it. And that um, here I am today, still free.
It's the greatest privilege of uh, my wife and I's life to walk alongside people that have real challenges in life and be their friends and try and support them. But in my heart of hearts, I am so passionate and desperate for God to move and set more people free like that. Why does God heal? When God heals, it's a gift. It's just a gift. It's not based on your merit, your character, or particularly your faith. It does help to have faith that Jesus is the one who he says he is. But it's not a reward or something earned. It's part of the kingdom of God. When God comes in healing, there's a clash of kingdoms. The light is driving out the darkness. It's included in the rescue of God. When Jesus died on the cross, it, it clearly says he took up our infirmities and that includes physical healing. It just does. That word includes physical healing. It's part of the rescue of God. One day everything, but let's see more now. And it's based on the power of God. What we have, or the authority we have, is based on the Word of God and the Spirit of God in us. How does God heal? He does heal in response to faith. We love Him. We want Him to move. We want Him to be glorified. We want to see Jesus glorified. He does like faith. It's not true if you believe enough, you'll see enough. It's, you can't, it's not a mathematical equation. He just loves when you trust Him. He loves it when a local family say, we love you, Jesus. That's the, that's the place Jesus loves to dwell and move. It's not a mathematical formula. He, loves, he moves in response to prayer. And I don't just mean when you pray now. He moves in response to people that go home in their closet and they say, God, wonderful, those stories. I've got friends I'd like you to heal. I've got friends who are people on their knees, not always in public, but at home, fighting the good fight of faith, saying, Lord, let your kingdom come. He heals with a word. It's not true that we just have to declare and we don't pray. There's a lot of declaring, but it's not true it's just declaring. You can pray for someone, but you can declare. Sometimes there's an illness, you think, do you know, get off them in Jesus' name. Get off. You can, but again, it's not formulaic. It just seems that God wants us to speak because from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And it's always about more than healing. It's always about the person. It's always about the person. God wants them whole. God wants them included in a community. That's, and he wants them to come to him. Lord Jesus, expand the reaches of your eternal kingdom that is never going to fade. Make it larger, make it more present with us and make it more obvious to everyone around so they might turn to you. Amen.